0: Hi, this is Eugenio Duarte. I hope you enjoy the interview you're about to listen to. If you do, or if you have ideas for books you'd like to hear about on the show, let me know. Go to my website, eugenioduartephd.com, and click on Contact to send me a message. And now, on with the interview. Hello, everybody. This is New Books in Psychology, and I'm your host, Eugenio Duarte, in New York. Today, we're speaking to Dr. Eva Ritvo, author of the new book, Be Kinder, the transformative power of kindness. Dr. Eva Ridvo is a physician, author, and TV and radio personality, as well as the founder of Be Kinder, an international initiative to bring more kindness into the world. She is also co-founder of the Bold Beauty Project, a nonprofit that pairs women with disabilities with award-winning photographers and creates art shows. She is former chair of psychiatry and behavioral medicine at Mount Sinai Medical Center and former vice chair of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at the Miller School of Medicine at University of Miami, with over 25 years experience practicing in Miami Beach, Florida. Eva, welcome
1: to the show. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Why don't you start by telling us about
0: your professional background and how it brought you to your special interest in the power of kindness?
1: Um, I have been practicing, as you already mentioned, in psychiatry for 25 years. And kindness is such a simple solution, but yet it does solve so many of our problems. Um, So when I think about sort of getting out of my office and trying to help a larger group of people, kindness to me is a natural because even the kindest among us can always be kinder. Um, But my personal concern right now is that Although people are naturally designed to be kind and most of us are kind, we're very busy, we're very distracted, and it's not really clear how to be kind in this globalized, flat world that we've all found ourselves living in. So I think there needs to be a real shift in how we think about kindness and how we think about, you know, what is our responsibility in terms of interacting with one another. So I think it's a very important topic as we, as a human race are going through such an important uh, transition in our, in our ways of dealing with one another.
0: And what is that shift that you think needs to happen in our thinking about kindness?
1: Well, I don't have the answer, but what I say is that we need to think more about what our responsibilities are to each other, because I, my background is in evolutionary psychology and Our brains were designed to uh, function in small groups of 100 people, 150 people, where you knew everybody intimately, you spent your whole life with them. Um, And all of a sudden, you know, in a very short span of time, probably around 15, 20 years, all of a sudden we know about 7 billion people and we know all these Terrible things that are happening, you know, around the world, and our social support groups now, instead of being 150 people, you know, many people have a thousand Facebook friends. So, you know, you wake up in the morning, and this one has the flu, and this one had a car accident, and this one is in the hospital, and you know, that's before you've even gotten out of bed. Um, so, I think we really have to try to figure out. How we need to be kind in this world when there are so many people that we know about and so many people that know that need kindness. So I think it's a very confusing time, and I think it's left a lot of people feeling actually quite isolated because the traditional models of caring, which is caring for those people right in your environment, uh, your neighbors, your family, you know, we're we're spread apart from them, so we're not doing that typical kindness. And then we have you know these, these vast networks that we can't possibly be kind to all of them so the the point of the initiative is just to ask people to think about you know how are we supposed to relate to each other in this new sort of world that we've all found ourselves living in so i
0: ask all my guests who come on the show some version of the question i'm about to ask you which is to define the 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 terms that you're talking about, because it's so important to be clear about our terms. What is kindness exactly? And, and how is it different from niceness or say politeness?
1: Well, I think politeness is, is more of a superficial term. Um, it doesn't have the depth that kindness has. I think niceness also, I think kindness to me, if you look at the word kindness, it has kin right in the middle of it. And so to me, kindness is care and you need compassion to care and you need the ability to nurture, uh, to be kind. So I think it's a broader word, and I think it speaks again to sort of the fundamental human issues, which is that we are all here because somebody profoundly cared for us. Humans are born very, very dependent, and they remain dependent for a quite a long time. And a big portion of that time, they're, they're pre-verbal. So they can't even say, hey, I'm hungry. Could you feed me? Gee, I'm tired. Would you let me rest? Um, so as humans, we're really designed to care and to care in a really significant way and in a, in a really intimate way where we don't even have to express our needs. Um, so as you know, studying human development, you know, the optimal situation is when a baby comes in the world and is well cared for, Um, So that I think is the origin of kindness, is that caring for our really dependent young. So I think we all have that skill set, otherwise, none of us would be here because our young wouldn't have survived. So I think it's an essential human quality. But again, I think where we're having difficulty now is what we're innately designed to do to care for our kin and those around us. Now the task is much greater. Now we have to care about people, you know, on the other side of the country, on the other side of the world. And I, I don't think we're designed to do that. And I think that's why a lot of people will say, gee, we're living in a very unkind time. Well, I don't think we are. I think we're just living in a time of tremendous flux and confusion and uh, overload. And when people are overloaded, they tend to shut down. And so sometimes people now seem unkind, but I think it's because they're focusing on the wrong things or they're overloaded. I think a perfect example is, you know, you get into an elevator nowadays and everybody's on their cell phone. You go see a dinner and everyone's on their cell phone. You look at drivers, they're on their cell phone. Well, those are really unkind behaviors. If you're in an elevator with somebody, you know, smile, say hello, hold the door open, tune in. If you're at dinner with someone, my goodness, you know, if you think about that that baby and that mother being that primal relationship, it's about feeding. You know, be present with a person. Don't be worrying about somebody on the other side of the world who you know might have the flu today. You've got to be present. And then I think driving is where we're seeing just a tremendous amount of unkindness, which is inadvertent. I don't think people get in their car and say, "Gee, I'm going to be unkind." But on the other hand, you know, I I walk a lot, um, as you probably do in New York. And, you know, I feel like I'm taking my life in my hands to go across the street because no one's looking at me. They're looking at their cell phone. And how do you know they're not going to just see the light change and start to go? Um, So, you know, kindness comes in in many, many forms. But I think right now we are very distracted, um, very addicted to our cell phones. And I think that's making many of us appear unkind.
0: But are you suggesting that part of why we fail to be kind sometimes is because we're overwhelmed? Because we are more connected and cannot and overwhelmed by all the things that might we might otherwise feel kindness towards?
1: Absolutely. I'll give you a perfect example. I came up to New York and I was hosting a luncheon to talk about kindness. And literally, before I had gone on stage, I think four people had told me, you know, terrible things that had happened that day. One whose mother, you know, uh, had passed out and, you know, was being taken to the hospital. Um, Another woman I know whose whose nephew was just diagnosed with diabetes. Um, You know, my own mother is 3000 miles away. So, you know, what do you do? Do you go on stage and, and be kind to your audience who has shown up? Do you take your friend to the hospital to see her mother who just went to the hospital? Do you drop everything and go visit your mother, you know, who's who's not doing well? And it, it's hard to feel like a kind person when you're pulled in so many directions and when you hear so many things. And that's only the tip of the iceberg, right? So then you layer on top of that, well, gee, I live 40 minutes from Parkland. So Maybe I need to be kinder to the Parkland kids. And then you think, well, but there's people starving, you know, in here. And why are we having this fancy luncheon? And and it's just information overload. Um, And I think that's why right now it's very difficult for people to know how to be kind. And that that it's going to require much more focus for us to figure out how to be kind when there's so many things competing for our attention. And rightfully so. You know, these are all issues that are valid.
0: So then you put together this book called Be Kinder and I'm wondering about the title because you you didn't make the title Be Kind.
1: You made it be kinder. Why not? Um, Well, I wanted the title to have an action word and I think that each of us is kind that we should just pay attention to being a little kinder. So if I tell you to be kind then that implies that you're not kind. And my hypothesis is not that at all. My hypothesis is that we're all kind, right? You go to the middle of the word, kin. We're all here. We're all kin. We're all family. But we're distracted. So we just need to be kinder because it's not as natural as it used to be. It's We have to be much more mindful of are we being kind? Are we being, you know, utilizing our time in the best way possible Um, so that that's why I said be kinder rather than just simply be kind
0: when was a moment when you realized you know what I need to put out a book about this
1: well actually it started um, in a slightly different way Um, and it, it started for me back in 2008 when I had a different book out it was called the beauty prescription the complete formula for looking feeling beautiful and it was written with a dermatologist And, um, unfortunately I went through a very difficult divorce at the time that this book was coming out and I was being interviewed on the radio, very similar to today. And after the radio show, the radio, uh, host said, you know, would you like to talk again? And I said, absolutely. And then as I went through my very difficult transition in my life, that radio announcer really became what I called my lifeline. He was somebody that I repeatedly called, that I spoke to, that I depended on, and I felt like he, more than anybody that I knew, navigated me through that maze that I was going through. It was a complex situation, you know, moving, separating the finances, the children, uh, the emotional impact. There were so many things, and this man that I, I never met, I still haven't met, really rose up and gave me so much time and so much kindness and so much compassion. And I got through that. And as I got better and better as a psychiatrist, I thought, well, wasn't that odd, you know, how odd that somebody you haven't met was so impactful. Um, And I really thought a lot about it. And I I think it was many things, of course, but I think one of the things was he is a radio announcer. It's his full-time occupation and he's, very good with words. And I needed that strength and that clarity and not to be confused with, you know, are we going to lunch or what time are we meeting? Just that, that, that sort of voice of wisdom. Um, and it was such a wonderful experience. And I thought, isn't that, remarkable that somebody you haven't met would be so kind. And I thought to myself, I wonder if other people have that experience. Has that happened to anybody else? So I put out a call for stories and sure enough, within a fairly short time period, I had 220 stories about kind acts by strangers. And then my idea was, let me put these together and let me try to put together stories where everybody will get something out of the book. I put the top 64 to sort of represent different, different experiences, some you know, far simpler than mine and some far more complex than mine, so that no one would be turned off by the book. Everybody would find something that resonated with them. And the idea is to just spark people to simply be kinder. Um, and it can be in any any kind of a situation, but I think there's always an opportunity for kindness. So that's sort of how the book came about. And then since I am a professional and I have a lot of experience working with people, I wanted my voice to be in the book as well, not just the story. So after I collected all the stories, I tried to, you know, research about kindness, think about kindness and say, you know, what else might readers like to hear that might be spark them to think about kindness in a different way. So I, I put those things running through the book. Um and my my college daughter said, Mom nobody reads anymore. So I thought, well, <laughs> gee, that's scary, but she might be right. So the book is all in little bite sized pieces. So this book um has a very beautiful cover. The cover was donated to me by an abstract artist named Anthony Leggins And um It's all, you know, thoughtfully designed because I really want this book just to sit by somebody's bedside. Um, It's blue, it's restful, and then it just has that one word on it, be kinder. So even if you don't read the book, it's just sort of planting that seed that tomorrow when you wake up, how Mm -hmm. can you be kinder? And then everything is just, can be standalone in the book. So you can just open up the book, any page you want, read a page or two, go to sleep or go about whatever else you need to do. Um, It's really meant, as as I say, as a thinking book, not a reading book. I have heard people say they, you know, read it from cover to cover, couldn't put it down, but that's not the intent. The intent is that kindness is something that has to be part of our everyday life, and I hope that this book, when people purchase it, will keep it around and just have it be part of their day-to-day life and to shift from what we hear on the news, which is just, you know, acts of unkindness, acts of horror, acts of terror. And all of those things, you know, activate our autonomic nervous system, make us aroused, make us suspicious of others, make us paranoid, make us hyper Um And this book is really designed to do the opposite, to help show what, what I think is a much more realistic view of the world, which is that, in fact, kindness is everywhere. Um, and we really tune into the negatives <clears throat> simply because that's what kept our ancestors alive. And so we're always going to want to tune into the negatives because that's how we keep ourselves safe, is recognizing danger before it comes. So it's hard to get away from all the negative news, but I think it can be very damaging to people, uh, both to their nervous system and to their relationships, if they think that that's really you know, the essence of the world. The essence of the world is kindness, care, compassion. Again, back to our youth, without that, they wouldn't survive.
0: So then why do you think that sometimes we fail to be kind?
1: Well, I think we fail to be kind for many reasons. I think um, upbringing has a lot to do with it. And I think if we weren't treated with with a lot of kindness, care, and compassion, then it's hard to mature into that as an adult. So I think a, a lot of people have, you know, scars left over from their childhood. I think trauma plays a role for for many people. If if bad things happen to you, it's hard to be kind. Um, I think drugs and alcohol uh, or any kind of an addiction, sex addiction, gambling addiction, Those make a person ill, and when we're ill, it can be hard to be kind because our job is to take care of ourselves. and I think right now we're living with a lot of of substance abuse. Um, I think cell phone addiction is absolutely rampant, and any addiction is going to take you away from caring for others because you're very busy caring for yourself, and I think that's what we're seeing an awful lot of right now is, is the cell phones are just making us unkind because they're putting our attention in a place where it doesn't belong at that moment. Um, so I think you know the path to unkindness is many um, and then the simplest of all is just we're on information overload. There's just too many things competing for our attention and sometimes we forget to be be kind. Um, I also think, you know, being geographically separate from families is wonderful in some ways because it creates independence and gives us new opportunities, but it takes us out of those natural relationships where we would be kinder and care and more compassionate. So I think the fact that society's you know, structure has changed so much has also eroded our natural tendency to be kind. So, and, and I could probably go on and on, but, but I think there's many, many reasons. And I think we need to go back to sort of what is most Human, what is our 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 nature? And I do believe that is to be kind to one another.
0: I want to illustrate some of these points by talking about one of the stories in the book. The one of the ones I'm thinking of is entitled "Yes Please." And to give listeners an idea, it's about a woman who goes to Publix, uh, the grocery store, a, a grocery store chain in Florida, and she's at the cashier and she's trying to pay and she's had a bad day. And the cashier is complimenting her shoes and asking all sorts of questions about the shoes and where'd you get them and this and that. And the dilemma of the story is that the narrator, the woman who's trying to pay, really doesn't feel like engaging in conversation and and isn't really receptive to the kindness that the cashier is offering. And if you read the story, you find out what happens and, and things do take an interesting turn uh which ends with the two of them talking for hours and you get to read about how that happens but what stands out to me the reason why i like that story is because it it doesn't sound like the narrator is a bad person uh it, it it but it raises questions then about what is going on in that human moment when someone is trying to actually be kind to you and you're resisting it what is What is the nature of that resistance? Is it about vulnerability? Is it about something else? How do you
1: understand that? Well, I think in in this story, and it's a beautifully written story, and this was a story that I actually got from a stranger. This is not somebody that I've ever met. Um, So I'm glad that you you picked this story. It's very I think it's so well written and just a touching, sweet story. But in the beginning of the story, she says she goes into public in a bad mood. Um, And the reason that she's in bad mood is that her husband was interviewing for a job and he didn't get the job. But what made it worse is she had to miss the trip to Barcelona to stay home for the interview. So on top of him, you know, not getting the job, she had missed this trip to Barcelona. So she said that she was, you know, not in a good mood when she went into the market. And I think that 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 happens to all of us, right? So many things are happening, particularly um, you know, even if it's just simply watching the news, it, it doesn't put you in a very good mood. Um, so she says how this woman is sort of talking to her and her head is, you know, a million miles away. And um, where the story changes is she says, I still don't know why, but from nowhere came a sudden thought. I remembered my yoga instructor's wise words. The emphasis she placed on the importance of being present, of tapping into the breath, and being fully engaged in the moment, allowing love and beauty to shine through. And I think that absolutely beautifully sums up that distraction that I was talking about. Here's a woman who's who's in the supermarket, really... Buying groceries. It has nothing to do with Barcelona or a job interview. Yet her mind is, you know, a million miles away thinking of all these things where the cashier was very present and was noticing the person and noticing her shoes Mm -hmm. and trying to engage her. Uh, For me, I, I, I love these, you know, these synchronicities. For me personally, this is the year of yoga. So, what are the odds that you would pick the one yoga line out of this entire book? Um, but I've been really working on doing yoga this year because I think it does do exactly what this beautiful writer said, which is it, it places emphasis on the importance of being present, tapping into the breath, and being fully engaged in the moment. Those are things that our ancestors did naturally, they had no choice. They were fully engaged in the present. They concentrated on their breath and they were engaged in the moment. We don't get the luxury of living that way because we've got to-do lists and and different stimuli bombarding us. So again, it gets back to that. When we can do what our nervous system is naturally designed to do, we're going to function much better. When we're distracted or busy or stressed out, we're not at our best. So here, this woman has this thought that was planted by her yoga instructor. And then she heeded that person's advice. She came back into the một and then she started to engage with this young woman. And then, as you said, they then sort of get lost in that and then sort of time evaporates. And we all know that feeling when we're very engaged in the moment. We don't know how long time has passed. And then such a luxurious and wonderful feeling. And again, if you think of our ancestors, they weren't on the clock with everything. They let themselves be in the moment and it took how long things took. So our brains are much more designed to that. I know when I'm in psychotherapy with a patient and I lose track of time, that's when I know we're really getting somewhere and we're really mm-hmm. having a great experience. When I'm listening to them and I'm looking at the time and I'm like, oh 20 more minutes or seven more minutes, I'm not fully engaged with them and things aren't going optimally. So it's a very tiny story, but I think there's so much power in that story. And I have always been told that if you know listeners can take away one thing from from listening to to a a podcast or a lecture, one is good enough. So maybe they will take away that that opportunity to really engage in the present moment. I had the same thing happen to me. And I think I tell it at one point in the book, I was in um, Whole Foods and I was checking out and I was so anxious because I was trying to get the manuscript done on time, I'm trying to you know, feed myself properly. And I, I was just really kind of anxious. I'm looking at my cell phone and the cashier says to me, You know, would you like my coupon? You can have that chicken you got for free since you're spending over $40. And literally, I was so touched that I started to cry. Wow. Because my mind was in seven places, stressed out, anxious, worried. And here's this man who's looking at me, looking that I bought over $40, looking that I have a rotisserie chicken. And he's giving to me you know, what a remarkable experience. So I got all teared up. I I said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I said, I'm working on a kindness project. Thank you so much. You made my day. I feel so much better. Can I take your picture? I took his picture, (laughs) completely changed my mood. I, I left like in the best mood. I then got in my car. I went to blocks and Typical in Miami, a homeless person came up to me, and so I had just gotten from the market. I was so happy that people were kind to me. I reached in my bag. I handed him food, and he took the food, and I actually blew him a kiss because I was so elated from having that kind experience, and then moments later, having that opportunity present to be kind, it was positively thrilling. And and that's one of the things that I think is really important for people to understand is that being kind is a wonderful experience all the way around. It's wonderful for the person giving it, but it's also wonderful for the person receiving it. And then that person wants to give it. And so I believe it's a very, very powerful emotion that sort of multiplies. So he gave me a free chicken, I gave the homeless person something. The next thing you know, I'm giving the homeless person a kiss. The next thing you know, he's blowing kisses back to me. <laughs> and, and it's a ripple effect. And so I think when we can tap into the power of kindness, that's when we feel our best. And I might segue a little bit to uh, the other project that I'm very involved with. Um, because I think it's, it's given me so much inspiration for this book. And that's the Bold Beauty Project that you mentioned. So the Bold Beauty Project was started by a very dear friend of mine named Shelly Bear. Um, She actually started with somebody else about 12 years ago, didn't really uh, continue forward. Um, So lay sort of quiet for many years. And then she and I got introduced on what I call a blind friend date, which was an act of kindness, most certainly. Somebody knew both of us and thought that we would get along and we called each other, and we went to lunch, and the next thing you know, we're running a nonprofit, or we founded and started running mm-hmm. a nonprofit. So, you know, it snowballs, kindness snowballs, and you never know, you know, how one thing's going to lead to another, to another, to another. Um, so our friendship led to this whole beauty project, and we just came back from Philadelphia, and we had our third, our third, uh, our third city that we've done art shows in. So we go into a city, we find women with disabilities, they're volunteers. We find photographers, they're volunteers. We pair them together. They invest a considerable amount of time to create an image. Uh, Then the model and the photographer give us a, a brief narrative of themselves. Then we blow all of that up and we create an art show. And There's nothing like coming to those shows because everyone is so happy. It's all based on kindness of strangers. Everybody comes together for the first time to meet. And it's such a happy, high experience. And I have a strong anti-alcohol, anti-drug belief because of practicing for 25 years and seeing people's lives so destroyed. And I think people need to come back to, you know, what are great ways to get high? Great ways to get high are, you know, exercise, uh, so many different things. But kindness is a great way to feel that high. I was high when I came out of Whole Foods with my free chicken. Now, $9 didn't change my life. Of course not. But that act, that that thought that someone like paid attention and, and cared and gave you something of themselves really, really touched me and inspired me. There's a doctor in New York, actually, who talks about the concept of moral elevation, which is when we see something very beautiful that's moving. Um, So that's what happened there. And that's what happens with the Bold Beauty Project. So from my personal growth and development and working now 26 years, nothing compares to doing that Bold Beauty Project. It is so much fun. It's just positively a thrill. It's hard work. There's, there's bumps, of course, that when you get to that goal line, there's nothing like it. And so I think, you know, that's another part of my message is that giving is so much fun. You know, don't rob yourself of the opportunity to give. It's one of life's greatest gifts is to be able to give.
0: And yet, as, this, as the public's story, and I guess your story illustrates, in order to be kind and accept the kindness of another person, it seems that there's something that we have to break through. There's something in ourselves perhaps that we need to get past. And I don't know if to call that egocentrism or I don't know if to
1: call that defensiveness or self-protection. Right. So, so are you talking sort of about that concept of vulnerability, that, that, that kindness occurs when someone allows themselves to be vulnerable and opens up? Right. So in other words, if we go to Whole Foods, a trivial example, I really wasn't in the best place. Truly, I wasn't. And then when that when that man did that, I allowed myself to sort of open up and, you know, let that stress go and open myself to another human being who is allowing me to create a more positive experience. That's a tiny example Yes, he was recognizing and acknowledging a need I had, which is do you want that chicken for free? <laughs> there was a need right there, so that's a trivial example. But but allowing oneself to be vulnerable so that we can connect is so important. And again, that's why I think there's a big shift in this world because right now we are in a time where more people than ever are allowing themselves to be vulnerable. And showing yes, we have a terrible need. You know, awful things are happening in Syria. There's a tremendous need, awful things in so many parts of the world so we're seeing so much more vulnerability and this tell society that we've come to live in is allowing people to be more vulnerable and, and share their needs you know it, just take an example go that's all about putting a vulnerability about, out there and then people are sort of rushing in to help in the past you know people might let their, their neighbors know they're vulnerable but they certainly wouldn't let the whole world know they're vulnerable um, they didn't even have a mechanism to do that. So I think vulnerability and kindness you know, are, are, are bedfellows. You have to show that vulnerability. You have to trust somebody. You have to allow that openness to then allow somebody to help. If I just stayed on my cell phone at Whole Foods, that experience wouldn't happen. But you have to, like the yoga teacher says, you have to open up. You have to be present. And then powerful things can happen.
0: I, I want to mention another story from the book that I really liked, which is entitled Can Kindness Cure Disease? And it's actually the story of Bill W. and his co-founding of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, which everybody knows about now. What's what's the moral of this story? What, what does it tell us about the way that kindness doesn't just happen at the level of two human beings, but, but can happen at the level... Of a group and can even in, can even um, shape a revolutionary revolutionary treatment approach.
1: Um, thank you for asking that question. I really appreciate you bringing that up. Um, a, a moment to uh, jump again to my background. I'm a psychiatrist and I've been practicing for 25 years. I spent about 14 years studying the disease of alcoholism and so it's something that I am very alert to aware of and something that concerns me a lot because I think we have so much undiagnosed and undertreated uh, alcoholism in our in our in our culture here in the United States and and elsewhere as well um, so I did try to bring in um, some information about alcoholism and substance abuse so that if there are any readers or family members that pick up this book, they might be a a little bit inspired to get some help for that disease. So one of the stories that I stumbled across or was actually alerted to by a friend was the story of Bill W. I did not know how Alcoholics Anonymous got got started, but I loved the story. So I shared it. Uh, So the story goes like this. Um, Bill W. was an alcoholic and he had been in and out of treatment many times, finally was in treatment, got sober again. And when he got sober this time, he decided that the way to stay sober would be to try to help other people with the disease. So he left the hospital and he was going around trying to find other people that he could talk to about the disease and try to help them get sober. So he was doing this for several months and he had not had any any luck getting anybody sober. And he came home and was complaining to his wife that he was very tired from trying to get all these people to quit drinking and none were getting sober. And then his wife brilliantly said, but you are. And that was an aha moment. So Bill at that moment recognized that by trying to help others, he was in fact, helping himself. And he was sober. So he continued to try to help others. A little while afterwards, he was on a business trip and he had an urge to drink. Um, anybody out there who's been battled an addiction knows that, you know, travel is trigger because travel is stressful. You know, whether it's an eating, I I know myself, I I don't eat junk food. I, I get into the airport and all I want to do is have a donut. Um, so there's, stress triggers, whatever is our vulnerability. Um, so he's traveling and he wants to have a drink. So he, uh, goes into the hotel lobby and he got a directory of churches and he selected one at random and he called, um, and asked the minister, is there a hopeless drunk that I can talk to? And the minister gave him the name of Robert Smith who was a surgeon, and he called him up. You know, this sort of the modern-day version of cold calling. I don't know that this would fly anymore, um, but that, then it did. This is the uh, 1930s. So he called up this man uh, who's come to be known as Dr. Bob, and they spoke for hours and hours. And then they met. And after they met, Dr. Bob never took another trip. And Bill continued on his path of sobriety. And together, these two men, who came together in sort of the most random fashion, co-founded Alcoholics Anonymous. And Alcoholics Anonymous is based on this notion that helping one another is a key element to battling and getting that disease to go into remission. And it's an extraordinary act of kindness, if you think about it, that's helping both you— Right, You're being kind to yourself by treating your own disease, and you're being kind to an absolute stranger that you've never met by helping them battle their disease. And in the process, by helping them, you're helping yourself. So it speaks to that that circular nature of kindness that is so powerful. So to date, they believe that over 2 million people belong to AA and have had over 100,000 meetings in 181 countries so not bad for coming out of a simple phone call and a desire to to be free of a disease so i think it's an incredibly powerful story of, of Bill and Dr. Bob. Um, and then the next story in the book is called Halting My Disease, and it sort of walks you through some of the steps that AA teaches you because there's there's different components of AA. One is sort of that social aspect, and we believe that when people get together in groups and feel supported, again, that goes back to your natural state. So we're releasing all sorts of good you know chemicals um, and hormones, serotonin, oxytocin, and those have help people battle that, that, you know, that reward pathway, that instantaneous, I mean, dopamine pathway. Um, So that's part of AA, but then AA also has steps that they take you through and and education that they give you and tools to help people battle disease. So although Be Kinder is not intended in any way to be medical advice, I do hope that I can inspire some people to, to seek help if they're suffering. And to recognize that when we come together, there's a lot of power in groups. And so whether it's alcoholism or gambling, sex addiction, uh, support is so helpful. Even cancer support groups have been shown to lessen uh, the burden of the disease and prolong longevity uh, just by coming together and supporting one another
0: so you know we're almost out of time but i want to make sure that we give a chance for our listeners to hear about what you're working on next
1: well one thing that we didn't mention is that um when i wrote be kinder i uh was very happy and proud and sort of felt complete with this nice little blue book um but then i got a Assistant associate PR agent in New York. And as you know, New Yorkers always have to kick it up a notch. So she said, This isn't a book, this is a global initiative. And I thought, Huh? What? A global initiative? No, that's silly. But I guess she's right. And so we're trying to make this not 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 just a book, but a global initiative where people can think more about kindness. So we have a website people can come to. They can take a quiz to just get them thinking about kindness. We have a Facebook page where we try to post kind stories. I'm going around the country. Um, so far, I've done three cities. It's been Extraordinary, and just meeting different people and talking about kindness and trying to connect different people. Um, we have hats, we have T-shirts. They say "Be kinder" on them. And this morning, I was walking into my office. And I was wearing my "Be kinder" hat, and somebody said, "Hey, I like your hat." If I had had more time, I would have said, "Whoa, thanks. I'm part of the Be Kinder Global Initiative. We're trying to get people to think more about kindness." But I didn't have time because I had to come to you. Um, so, so any way that people want to interact with us, um, we're really excited to just have people say, I'm part of the Be Kinder program. I'm a Be Kinder ambassador or I'm part of the Be Kinder initiative. I'm trying to think more about kindness and just have that kind of conversation with anybody we can talk to. So that that's where we're at right now. There's a lot going on. It's very exciting. Um, And anybody that has a story that they want to share, information they think that we should have, if they want to get connected to somebody, just reach out. We're an open program. Um, I say we because I, as I mentioned, I have Patrice Samara, who's based in New York City, who's helping me. I, I just met for the first time my publisher, who is absolutely the kindest woman. She takes kindness to a a level I hope that I could get to. Just a delightful human being. She lives in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And um, we're just doing our best to, in in any way we can, make our world just a slightly kinder place.
0: And what is the web address for your website?
1: Um, It's bekindr.com. So be kinder, but you're going to lose the second E. People have asked me why, you know, why not? I just thought it was cuter. Um, so I took out the second E. It's shorter, and uh, hopefully it will stick with people. It makes people think. Um, sometimes people think this is German, like be kinder. Um, so principal told us a joke the other day, you know, how come German children are always going to be uh kinder than American children because they're kinder. (laughs) So it doesn't have anything to do with that, but we like the joke. And that reminds me, the other thing we're doing is we're talking to children and, um, you know, they're naturally kind, many of them, most of them. And it's just a delight to talk to children. So I was in Allentown, Pennsylvania the other day speaking to 750 children and, uh, connected with a, a man who's developing curriculum for children. So there are so many Ways to go with this project. It's just a matter of, you know, finding the time, the effort, and the the resources to get it done. So if anybody wants to join us, if they have kindness curriculum, if they have a great story, if they want to go to schools and talk to children, just reach out to us. My email address is eva at BeKinder, again, b e k i n d r dot com. And the book is for sale anywhere books are sold. But um, it's got a very good price on Amazon right now and uh, a good price on Barnes & Noble, but... um, you know the end of the same if you get your discount coupons. But the book is only about twelve dollars and fifty cents on Amazon, which is a very good price for a, a hardback book and something that I, as I said before, I hope will spark a lot of different thoughts in your mind. Um, today we spoke about being present. We spoke about treating disorders because it's hard to be kind when you have a disorder. Uh, the book touches on you know charitable giving. Hunger in America. Uh, There's a Broadway play called Come From Away that's in here. It it, it has a lot in it. That's why I say don't try to read it fast. My personal kindness story is at the end, which relates to my daughter, um, who was born with a form of cerebral palsy called hemiparesis. So having a daughter with a disability has made me far kinder than I would have been without it. Um, And the book ends with my daughter's wonderful love story, Um, so and it starts with a love story so hopefully there's something that appeals to everybody in this tiny uh, but packed book
0: congratulations on the book and on the global initiative the book again is called Be Kinder the transformative power of kindness Dr. Eva thank you for being on the show
1: oh thank you it's been my pleasure I look forward to talking with you again
0: take care This is Eugenio Duarte, your host for New Books in Psychology in New York. I hope that you enjoyed the interview that you just listened to. And I also hope that you'll keep letting me know who you would like to hear on the show next or what books in psychology you're reading. To let me know, go to my website, eugenioduartephd.com and click on contact. Until next time, have a great week.